Would you please take the Word of God and turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, that song will fit really well with what we're going to be talking about today. And so Acts chapter 10, I'm going to be reminding you of the setting in which we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 10. And I've made some statements that are more analytical than uh, spiritual when we're talking about the record of the book of Acts. Often we, we, we see how the gospel progressed. If you remember when Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, He says uh, that they should be witnesses unto Him both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And really the book of Acts is tracing that progression. And so we know that the gospel was first preached on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And when the persecution arose after the stoning of Stephen, we find that the gospel went up to Samaria and then it spread through Galilee. Uh, We um, also observed here that uh, in the, the previous chapter that the gospel has been going now all the way in Judea, all the way uh, to, I guess you could say, the west coast, to the Mediterranean Sea, uh, the city of Joppa that was there, and that's where Peter is found. And so the gospel thus far has been primarily preached by, uh, or to Jews, right, to those who have that uh, that heritage, and many of them have believed, but many of them have, have not believed. And in Acts chapter 10, what we find here is the gospel is going to be preached to what the Bible refers to a group of people as Gentiles. If you look throughout the Word of God thus far, there are two main groups of people. There has been the Jews and the Gentiles. And we're going to find that the gospel is being preached here to the Gentiles. And and Peter here, again, in this scene has to receive a vision from God so that he can preach to the Gentiles because as he goes to the house of Cornelius, he, he says that that's not typically what we do. But God would speak to him and say, you're going to do something that you don't typically, typically do. And so we're talking here about the, the analytics of, well, now we see the gospel going to the Gentiles and we see the gospel going uh, right eastward and northward and southward and westward. And now it's going to a different group of people, the Gentiles. They're included in the gospel. And often when we're thinking about all the analytics, we forget the message. In Acts chapter 10, God speaks to Cornelius. We've seen that Cornelius is a man who fears God. He's a very, very religious and devoted man. That's what we've seen. We know if you read in chapter 11 that when God spoke to Cornelius, if you turn with me to chapter 11, notice this is what Peter said that was said to Cornelius. Notice chapter 11 verse 14 or verse 13 and 14. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. So Cornelius, at the beginning of chapter 10, is a religious, devoted man who fears God, but he's not saved. And how many people today are very religious, but they're not saved? They have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe something about Jesus Christ, but he is not, they are not saved. And so 
God speaks to Cornelius to, through a vision to send men to Joppa where they'll find a man whose name is Simon, Peter. And so uh, he sends them and while they are being sent to Joppa to the house of Simon the Tanner, uh, Peter also receives a vision from God. And this vision is quite peculiar. We don't know at first when we first read it what this vision is about, but the vision is clear by the time he sees those men and goes to the house of Cornelius. The vision was that God said, I want you to uh, kill, the, uh, kill this animal and eat the meat uh, that is considered to Jews unclean and uncommon that he's not supposed to eat. And God says, eat that meat. And as we progress in the story, when these men, while the vision is happening, these men arrive in Joppa to the house of Simon the Tanner, and they meet Peter, and then Peter uh, goes, they stay overnight in Joppa, and he goes over to the house of Cornelius on the next day, and he arrives to the house of Cornelius, and he finds out that Cornelius is a Gentile, and he gets to the house, and he finds that the house is full of Gentiles. And Peter then realizes, oh, that's why God gave me that vision. And he said, in verse 28 of chapter 10, this is Peter speaking to Cornelius, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one another of another nation, but God hath showed me that I should not call any, th any man common or unclean, which is what the vision was all about. And so Cornelius and Peter go back and forth. Cornelius said, well, God spoke to me, and God says, you have something for us to hear. We read um, in verse 32 of chapter 10, uh, Send therefore to Joppa, and call thither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He, he is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by, by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done, that thou art come. Now therefore, as we all have, uh, we are all here present before God to hear the things that are commanded thee of God. And verse 34 is our text. We'll read verse 34 down to verse 43. The Bible says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Now, think about all that's happened so far. It's quite a story. God speaks to Cornelius, send a man to Joppa, look for Simon Peter, and he'll come and he's got something for you to hear. Peter has a vision. Basically the vision is going to be, it's okay to go in the house of Cornelius and give him the word. And so the men arrive, they bring Peter. Now Cornelius and him have spoken. Peter comes into the house and says, okay, what is God, uh, what is God, what has God commanded you, Peter, to tell us? Did you get that? What has God commanded you to tell us? And so Peter begins to speak. He opens his mouth and this is what he says. Verse 34. Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Are you glad about that? That God doesn't look at you and say, Now you look a little funny so I'm not going to do work in your heart. That's not how God works. Or God here, He looks at a man who is very religious. And yet He has a message for him. Just like He would take a... Um, a woman who was living in sin at the, uh, the woman at the well in Samaria, and he also spoke with her. God is not a respecter of persons. And that's what Peter perceives. He, he, he comes to this house and gathered together, much like this place this morning, gathered together is a group of Gentiles who are waiting to hear what God has commanded Peter to say to them. And here is verse 35, But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. 
Here's verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel. So here it is. You see that? The word. This is the word. I'm going to give you what God has told me to tell you. This is the word that God sent unto the children of Israel. Here it is. Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He, that's Jesus Christ, is Lord of all. Notice verse 37. That word. So here, let's get into it. So the word is what? Jesus Christ. Now here is the specific of that word. You ready for it? Here is what Peter says. I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all of the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Amen. Notice chapter 11 verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also, here it is, received the word of God. I, I wrote down right by that expression in chapter 11, verse 1, receive the word of God. I wrote that right by the word of God. One word, Jesus. Remember Peter says the word, that word. Well, what did he preach on? Well, notice uh, verse 36, Jesus Christ. Verse 36, He is Lord of all. Verse 38, how God anointed Jesus. Notice in verse 38, who, that's who, Jesus, who went about doing good. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all the things which He, that's Jesus, did both in the land of the Jews. Uh, notice, whom they slew, that's Jesus. Verse 40, Him, who? Jesus, God raised up the third day and showed Him openly. Verse 41, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with Him, and He rose from the dead. Verse 42, and He commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which should ordain the words ordained of God. Verse 43, to him give all of the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. You know what that word is? You know what that word is, the word? One word, Jesus. So last week we talked about the technicalities of the gospel moving from the Jews being preached by the Jews to the Jews. Now we see the gospel being preached by the Jews to the Gentiles. But I want to spend some time talking about that message, that word. It's Jesus. 
You know, often we, if we're not careful, we might go through the motions. We might forget that the reason why we come is not because we're trying to observe some tradition. We come because of Jesus. As these Gentile people are gathered to today, to that, on that day in the house of Cornelius, they, they, they don't know quite what to expect, but they know that they're going to hear from God. And I want you to think here, because this would not be typical here. These are, uh, at least Cornelius is a devoted religious man who fears God, and yet there's something missing in his life. And, and if you sense here, they're all coming into their house. They're expecting Peter to come because when, Corne when uh, Peter arrives, Cornelius says, we've been expecting you. And so there's been an anticipation building in this room, in this house, when they're, they're thinking about a message. There's a message coming and these people who are very religious, who fear God, have been doing, if you would, religious things. They're of devoted people, a dedicated people, and you hear it yet as they all gather around. Notice here, Peter, as he preaches this message, there is not uh, some more rules and traditions to add to what that which were they were already doing. Peter is going to give them a message that is rather simple. That message is about a person, one person, one name, the name of Jesus Christ. Why do we come? Do we come gather together because we have a religious duty to gather together? Or do we come to hear about Jesus? As Peter preaches this message, I want us to think here because the emphasis of the life of Christ points us to the crucifixion. Throughout His ministry, Jesus Christ would repeat to His disciples, I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners. I'm going to die, and after three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. He, he repeatedly told that to his disciples. And, and here, as Peter is preaching about Jesus Christ and presenting to those Gentile people Jesus Christ, I want us to do two things here. I want us to observe here what is said about Christ. And often, if we're not careful, we might lose a little bit of perspective. We might become bogged down with some, uh, some uh, peripheral things and we forget what this book is all about. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. As Peter preaches here through this account, he gives us a summary of Jesus. And I want us to think here, because as you look at every single point, every single thing that Peter mentions in that word, that word which is Jesus, everything that he tells us about Jesus, from the time he was born, to his baptism, to his life, to his crucifixion, to his resurrection, going back all the way to the Old Testament, all points us to one thing. And we're going to talk about that one thing, obviously Jesus Christ, but what is it that it points us to? And so I want us to uh, see here what Peter talks about. It's a message about Jesus. And here is the record of Jesus, this message of Jesus that these people received. The first thing we notice that Peter talks about is the birth of Jesus. If you notice with me in 
Verse 36, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. And so the word of God here says he was sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. As we think about that expression, there is really one instance when we think about God sending messengers to preach peace by Jesus Christ. There's actually one particular event that comes to our mind as we think about someone that is being sent. The word angel comes to mind. The word angel means messenger. An angel is one who is sent to deliver a message from God. And here as we're thinking about this message from God, God sent unto the children of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ. This brings us all the way back to Luke chapter 2. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus Christ has already been born, and after the birth of Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 2, we have an account where God sends word, and He preaches, this word is about preaching peace, By Jesus Christ. And so the shepherds are abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. In Luke chapter 2, notice with me uh, verse, um, verse 10. The Bible says, And the angel said unto them, that's the shepherd, Luke 2.10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what's the word? Peace, goodwill toward men. This is God directly sending an angel, and if you would, a host of angels to all declare together glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And so at the birth of Jesus Christ, uh, Peter, he says that God sent uh, messengers and, and God delivered and he preached uh, Jesus Christ uh, that he is Lord of all. And so when Peter begins to message, he says, well, let's, let's go back from the very beginning because I'm going to preach unto you Jesus Christ, but understand who this person is. Messengers at his very birth declared to Israel that there is peace by Jesus Christ. This child that is to be born is the one who is going to bring, bring peace on earth. In verse 17 in Luke 2, the Bible says, and when they had seen it, They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And so when the shepherds heard the message from the angels, and then they went and inquired of the child, and they saw the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, when they left that place, uh, the Bible says they proclaimed and they published the things that they had seen and heard. What did they hear? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Why? Because unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And so Peter says, uh, if we're going to talk about Jesus, talk about his birth. Peter goes on, if you notice with me, Acts 10.36, The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Verse 37, that word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, 
and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. We could even go, as we move, if you would, not to just the birth of Christ, but you remember when the angel appeared to Joseph when he was debating whether to uh, make her marry a public example or to put her away privily. Uh, the angel appeared to Joseph and he says, You're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So Jesus would grow up and there's not much that is said about his, his years by, 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 between the time of his birth and the time that he is about 30, uh, 30 years of age and begins his public ministry. And his public ministry really began, began at his baptism. If you uh, turn with me to um, John chapter 1. So Peter preaches in Acts chapter 10. That word I say ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So the publishing of Christ happened after what? The baptism of John. So what happened in the baptism of John? Well, let's go to John chapter 1. And so Peter has dealt with the birth of Jesus. Now he moves to the baptism of Jesus where Jesus Christ was uh, publicly baptized. And in uh, John chapter 1, notice with me, uh, John has been announcing for some days, there's uh, coming someone after me whose shoe latches I'm not worthy to loose. And, and uh, he's been announcing Messiah that he is coming and in John chapter 1, verse 29, there finally comes a specific day. And the Bible says, the next day, John, uh, John 1, 29, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, here it is, this is what John says when he sees Jesus Christ, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, now think about that, because here we're, we're thinking about the birth of Jesus Christ. You remember what the angel said to Joseph. You're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so when, we, when, when Peter begins to preach about Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 10, he said, well, you remember his birth, the birth that was announced about Jesus Christ? At his birth, what was announced? That he would die for the sins of man. If you progress and you remember at his baptism right before his name began to be published. you remember at the baptism of John uh, when uh, his uh, fame began to grow? Do you remember what John said at the baptism? He said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And so think about how, how glorious the birth of Jesus Christ was in that incarnation and at the very birth He's going to die. At His baptism when His name begins to be published everywhere John announces His that he is going to die. You remember what happened at the baptism. We see the scene. John describes the scene. Verse 30 of John 1. This is he of whom I said after he cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me. That means he's God. And I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is, the, is, he, is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. 
We could go to the account in Matthew chapter 3. We have the specific scene when Jesus comes to, ba to, to be baptized of John. And John says, no, 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 uh, the, I cannot baptize you. And, and Jesus Christ says, it, it must be that to fulfill all righteousness. And as we think about the baptism, what is the baptism about? Why would Jesus Christ need to be baptized? Because he was signifying by what death he should die. So in his birth, his death is talked about. At his baptism, when he is announced as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, uh, before a, a multitude of people who had gathered to hear the preaching of John, here is Jesus Christ, the one who's been announced as the, the peace on earth, is baptized. And by the way, I know there's many pictures and portrayals, but it's very clear that Jesus Christ, the Bible says he went into the water, and so the water had to cross his body. That's why they had a river. It was not sprinkling or pouring. Because why would he need to go in the river to be sprinkled? He steps into the river and John baptizes him. And so John, the word baptized, by the way, means to dunk, to plunge, to immerse. That's what the name means. The word means. And so Jesus Christ is, is dunked, he's plunged, completely buried in the water. And then he is, the Bible says he is raised up, he was raised up out of the water. And uh, at the baptism, we see the scene where the father says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Here he him. And there's the scene of, of the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think about the baptism. And what is the baptism about? What does the baptism uh, convey? What does it communicate? It communicates the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6. If you turn with me in Romans chapter 6, he's mentioning here about what has happened to us at salvation. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we memorized that verse this morning in Sunday school. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Now, the cross was a crucifixion. And He was literally buried in a tomb. But here, notice the wording, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. And so the baptism, the dunking, the plunging underneath the water, represents the burial, the death of Christ. And so we are buried with Him in baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so when Jesus Christ was baptized, what was He saying? I'm going to die. If you go back with me to Acts chapter 10. We have the birth of Jesus. It was announced that he would take away the sin of the world. At the baptism, it was announced, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But Peter goes on, and notice he preaches, and he says in verse 38 of Acts 10, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed with the devil, for God was with him. So we see the birth of Jesus, the the baptism of Jesus, but then we, we see the miracles and the life of Jesus. Uh, he says here, he went about doing good. He uh, knows he healed all that were oppressed with the devil. Now, obviously, 
For sake of time, we cannot go through every account and every miracle and every good deed that Jesus Christ did. But as we just pick a few of them, we, we recognize what was the purpose of those things. What was Jesus trying to, trying to teach those who were observing those miracles? Why, uh, why did he raise Lazarus from the dead? What was the purpose behind it? Let's look at a few passages. Let's go to John chapter 11. Let's begin there in John 11. So in John 11... We know that Lazarus has died. They had sent, Mary Martha had sent Jesus, uh, sent for Jesus for him to come while he was sick. And so he ends up dying. And, and so they're broken hearted. Jesus Christ, uh, he, he is with them now. And notice in verse 23. Now remember early on, um, in verse 4 of the same chapter, Jesus, when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he said this. He said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So, did Jesus Christ knew what He was doing when He delayed to go heal Lazarus? Yeah, yeah, He, he knew what He was doing. He delayed raising or healing Lazarus so that later He could raise him from the dead so that God could be glorified. And notice what He says to them in uh, verse 23, Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again, and Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So Jesus Christ here, Peter mentions his, his good deeds and his miracles and, and we observe and we read about what Jesus did. And Jesus Christ, why did he do the miracle? It was not for the sake of Lazarus. Lazarus, it was for the sake of him and the work that he would do so that those who would witness that miracle would say, he himself is the resurrection and the life. And so again, even in his very deeds... We are pointed to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. If you turn with me to Mark chapter 2, the Gospel of Mark, let's look at another account here in Mark chapter 2. Notice with me, let's, in verse 1 of Mark 2, Again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, and so much that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them, and they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and uh, when they had broken it up, they, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And Jesus saw their faith. He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now let's just pause here for just a moment here. Uh, this is quite a scene. There's so many people pressed around the house and in the house that these people are bringing this man who is sick with the palsy, is crippled, he can't walk for himself and so they have to carry him, they can't get in. So they go on the roof and they begin to tear the roof apart and then they're going to lower this man in the house right in front of Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus Christ, we know he is about to heal him. But what does he say? He says, thy sins be forgiven thee. You might say, well, this is not what this is about here. This is about the man sick with the palsy. It's about this man being healed. No, it's not. It's not about that at all. Why? Notice as we proceed 
He says, verse 6, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why not this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And by the way, that was the right statement. Nobody can forgive sins but God. But we know Jesus is God. And so, verse 8, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say unto the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. What was this scene about? In his very miracles, Jesus Christ, in his very life, he said, these miracles are being performed, but I say to you, it's not about the miracle. It's about the fact that I, the Son of God, have power to forgive sins. And so that from his birth, that was announced. At his baptism, it was announced. In his life, in his miracles, and everything he did pointed to the fact that he would die, that he would be the redemption of man. He himself, Jesus. Back to Acts chapter 10, we see the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, the miracles and the life of Jesus all points us to this death, his, sacri his sacrifice for the sin of man. And then we move on now to everything that's been leading up to this, and that is the crucifixion. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom, now obviously, these people among whom he did the miracles, they slew and hanged on the tree. The birth was the great announcement. I, I, just think about it for just a moment. A lowly birth, humble birth, but a great announcement from heaven. A humble baptism. He is baptized at the hand of John the Baptist. The voice of God from heaven. And the Spirit of God descends on him. Jesus Christ went about doing good. And he, he shows us that the miracles, that the, the power of God in his life shows that he has power to forgive sins. Because he himself is God. And now with yet all those things that he did that were good. The Bible says that uh, they, the people, they slew him, and they hanged him on the tree. Well, Jesus Christ, throughout his life, he spoke quite a bit of this event. If you turn with me back to the Gospel of John. In this case, in John chapter 3, Jesus Christ is talking to Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, notice the announcement of Jesus Christ. John 3. Notice verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so Jesus Christ announced very early on to Nicodemus, He says that just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must, must, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Turn with me to chapter 12 of John. John chapter 12, verse 32 and 33. Then when Mary was come, or that's chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 12, 30, verse 32. 
And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So you remember the brazen serpent in the wilderness when the people were murmuring and God sent snakes to bite them and all they had to do when uh, Moses set up the, the, the serpent there and, uh, and then the people would look and they, they would be healed. And so Jesus Christ makes a comparison. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And later in chapter 12, he tells us, he, he said that signifying what death he should die. What's that death? Well, we know the crucifixion. In John 18, John 18, <clears throat> verse 32, we know Jesus Christ has been taking, he stands before Caiaphas, and uh, Pilate, noted they bring him to Pilate in verse 29, verse 31, then said Pilate unto, unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. And the traditional way would have been stoning. Verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying what death he should die. When did we read that? John chapter 12. The Son of Man must be lifted up. He must not be, be buried under a pile of rocks. He must be lifted up and so that men could, just at the Old Testament time when they looked at the brazen serpent and they could, they could be healed if they just looked. And so Jesus Christ would be lifted up signifying what death he should die to fulfill that which was prophesied. And so, again, uh, Peter is preaching here to this group of people. And uh, uh, just, just think for just a moment. Try to put yourself in their shoes. You, you've never heard anything like this before. And all the things that pertain to Jehovah God have been given to the Jews. And here they're thinking to themselves while he's talking about Jesus. And, and uh, he was announced and uh, his birth and, and his baptism and his miracle and his life. He, he died and, and certainly we've heard those things. But what, what do all those things signify? And so we see the resurrection of Christ. He mentions in verse 40, Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. By the way, Jesus Christ... Throughout his earthly ministry, he told them that he would die, uh, he would be betrayed, die, and that after three days he would rise again from the dead. Is that what he told them? Over and over again. And so he, the Bible says he was raised for our justification. Notice, keep reading in Acts 10, verse 41, Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Now, Christ would spend, spend 40 days with, with the disciples. He ate, drank with them. Uh, he spoke with them. And notice verse 42. And, and this is where we find the word. And, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. And so notice here, now, now Peter is here and he, he is thinking to himself, well, you remember Jesus Christ, it was announced at, at his birth that peace would come through him. At his baptism, John clearly said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh the sin of the world. Throughout his ministry, he did miracles and mighty acts and he kept saying, talking about the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. He that drinketh the water that I give him shall never thirst again. And he is that man. This is he. And through his ministry, 
He said that he had power to forgive sin. And we, we saw him hang on a tree as it was prophesied. And we, we know that he was raised from the dead. And he showed himself to us. We are witnesses of that. And he, verse 42, he commanded us to preach unto the people. Is that what Jesus commanded them to do? Acts 1.8, if you go back with me, just a few chapters. Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I don't know if Peter, as he's preaching, he's going through the life of Christ succinctly, and then he gets to the point where he says, and, oh yeah, he commanded us to preach that same Jesus. And then Peter mentions one more thing. And by the way, the word witness is found throughout this. Verse 39 we are witnesses. Verse 41, but unto witnesses. Verse 43, notice, to him give all the prophets witness. That word, the word, Jesus, his record was witnessed by the Old Testament prophets. It was witnessed by the disciples of Jesus Christ who, who, who saw all of this. And so the the gospel and the work of God is, is not without witness. And when Jesus Christ was sending them out in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, He says, ye are witnesses of these things. And so, Peter says, He commanded us. Now remember, back to verse 33. At the end of verse 33, Cornelius says, Now therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? Commanded. Cornelius said to Peter, Peter, what did Jesus, or what, 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 have, what has God commanded you to declare? And so Peter says, Jesus, in essence. That, that's what He has commanded us to preach, verse 42, unto the people and to testify that it is He which ordained, was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and the dead. And so then, we see here that the commission of Jesus Christ, Peter said, Jesus commanded us. And then in verse 43, we see the fulfillment of Jesus to give uh, to, to him give all the prophets witness. So you see what Peter does. He says, oh, the announcement at his birth, his baptism, his life, his miracles, his crucifixion, his resurrection. We are witnesses of all those things. Oh, and by the way, actually, it goes further. Way, 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 way before that. As a matter of fact, all the prophets from the very beginning. Well, what, what is that? Who was the first prophet? Well, Moses was the first prophet. What, he, what, he, what did he write under the inspiration of God? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says uh, to the devil that uh, the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent and, and Jesus Christ is that seed of the woman. And so, Peter basically says, the birth, 
the baptism, the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. Oh, wait. It's not just about this portion over here on this side. It's, it's this whole thing. This whole thing is about Jesus. The, the prophets, they, they in the, the future, they were witnesses of that. Of what should happen. And we are witnesses on the other side of what did happen. And what we say to you, Cornelius, and to all that are in the house, that everything that God wants you to know is summed up in one person, and that's the person of Jesus. And all the religion and all the things you do, Cornelius, you need to know and recognize that your religion is empty, but you need Jesus Christ. That's what God wants you to know. That it is through His name that you can be saved. And so he ends by uh, saying, uh, after he says there, there's the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, the miracles and the life of Jesus, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the commission of Jesus to preach to all men, the fulfillment of Jesus. He's a, he is the fulfillment of all prophecy. And then he ends by saying, the deliverance of Jesus. What does he say? In Acts chapter 10, notice with me those last words. What fitting words to end this message about Jesus. He says, To Him give all the prophets witness that through His name, what name? Jesus. Whosoever believeth in Him, who's Him? Jesus. Shall receive remission. Of sins. I don't know what Cornelius was expecting to hear. But what he did hear was a message about Jesus. And this is what he says in essence God has spoken to you, Cornelius, and he's gathered, gathered you and all of this house together to hear about Jesus. That through his name and believing in his name, you can have remission of sins. Now, what's remission? The word remission means freedom, liberty. It is freedom and liberty that is acquired by way of pardon and forgiveness. And so, it is. The, the fitting word that could be used that sums up the idea of freedom and liberty by way of pardon and forgiveness is, is the word deliverance. That's what the word remission means. And so here is a religious man who fears God, who's devoted, who has been in his own mind and in his own heart, he's been serving God as hard as he knows how to. And Peter tells him, he says, but uh, Cornelius... You need to be delivered. You need to be delivered from your sin. Your, your sin needs to be wiped away and there's no amount of religion, no amount of fear of God, no amount of zeal, no amount of devotedness can wipe away your sin. Only Jesus can deliver you. Only Jesus can set you at liberty. He is the only one who can break the sin, the, 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 the chains of sin that bound you, Cornelius. Your religion can't do that. And so... Through Christ who can forgive sin. 
You can have pardon and forgiveness. And you can be delivered. In Romans 8.15, he says, we have, not received, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There's two applications that I would like to make. The first one, is why do we do what we do? Why do you, why did you get up this morning, try to put your blessed clothes on for the Lord? Why did you come to church? Is it because of Jesus? Is it because you love Him? Because you want to hear from Him? Because you want to know Him? Because you want to walk with Him? There's any other reason why we come, we're coming for the wrong reason. And the second application we make is that Peter, who was who who would have been hesitant had God not spoken to him, because Peter, in essence, what he confesses here in this passage is that he was a respecter of persons. But what he perceived was that God was not. So the question here is are we respecter of persons? Do we make differences? Do, do we separate people and make classes of people? And if we do here, Peter is reminded, as Cornelius in his own words says, he said, well, what has God, Peter, commanded you to tell me? And I want to ask all of us the same question. What has God commanded us, commanded, not suggested, not uh, said, well, if you want to do this, that's fine, but what has God commanded us to do? And there's only clear, one clear answer to that. To preach Jesus. Cornelius said, you know, it's almost like we think about the world. If, if the world says, uh, hey, you're a Christian. Tell me about your religion. What does God want you to do? What, what, if you had one thing that you could tell me, what would that be? What, what, what has God commanded you? Well, our answer should be rather simple. Jesus. And so Peter, he recognizes that and he, he says he commanded us to preach unto the people. You know, sometimes we, uh, we make things a little more complicated than they are. He wrote to one of the churches and he says, uh, you're so far removed from the simplicity that is in Jesus. And we must not be removed from that simplicity. So, what if people don't want to hear? That's not really the issue. What has he commanded? And what he's commanded is, is rather clear. So may the Lord help us to make sure that Jesus is preeminent in this church and in our lives. 
And you know when he is preeminent? When, he do, when we do what he says to do. And what has he told us to do? To preach him. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Now that's convicting. Because I'm a preacher. And I call him my Lord. He is my Lord and my Savior. But how often... Do I not do what he's commanded us to, to, do, to me to do? And the Lord says, you call me Lord, Lord? But preacher, preacher, why, why don't you do the things which I say? Well, may the Lord help us. The primary application here is the deliverance of the gospel. And uh, we have a table full of cards. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I've never been this way. I'm not going to come around and compel people but I, I'm saying are we going to obey the Lord together if I don't have time to go up go out, speak with your neighbors co-workers whatever the situation what, what is the command that we've been given it's rather simple there is enough religion out there there's enough tradition there's enough things that people do there's just not enough preaching about Jesus it's all about him. And so here is a, this is this basically what Peter preaches in Acts 10 is this thing right here. That's what he just did in just a matter of minutes. And by the way, we can do the same. We can do the same. Would you pray, you say, Pastor, I, I just, I'm uncomfortable. Would you ask, I just pray this simple thing. God, would you give me an opportunity to do what you commanded me to do? If we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And when He hears us, we know that we have anything we ask of Him. Do you think if you pray, say, God, would you give me somebody to witness to? Do you think God's going to say, ah, let me think about that one? I don't think so. But uh, I, I hope that we come away from this saying Christ is great and worthy to be preached and I need his help to obey him. So let's do that. Amen.